Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome uh, to what I hope is going to be another fascinating uh, webinar. Uh, today, we're having a fireside chat with Ripple, uh, Ripple's Marcus Treacher, and good. Marcus is going to be exploring payments innovation. Uh, you'll notice behind me, I took the marketing department seriously, and I now have, in fact, two fires. May not be quite what you meant by a fireside chat. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Michael Minelli. I'm the executive uh, chairman of CN Group. And it's uh, my delight to be able to host many of these webinars. It's a real privilege because our sponsors, uh, numerous as they are, are extremely tolerant of the areas that we like to explore, which tend to be those of technology, of financial services, and also of social purpose. So wherever technology, finance, and social purpose meet, uh, we would like to be there. And today, of course, is really quite special. Uh, Marcus is going to be uh, giving us a talk for about 20 to 25 minutes. We have ample time for questions, and I expect that there are quite a few questions. And the reason that I'm pleased uh, to have Marcus here is, A, I knew him before he was at Ripple, and so I found it extremely intriguing that he decided to, to go over there. But in addition, for those who haven't really been following the whole cryptocurrency, and this is beyond cryptocurrency, blockchain, uh, tokenization, the transformation of the wholesale markets, etc. debate carefully, it's very important to remember that Ripple predates Bitcoin. And I think that uh, is an important aspect and kind of putting a stake in the ground that Bitcoin may have been popularizing things, uh, but it wasn't the only horse in town. Now, the important thing in my world is to get out of the way and let you uh, get in to, uh, into the action. And just before I do so, might I remind all of you out there that Marcus is really looking forward, as I am, to a good Q&A session. GoToWebinar provides a question and answer facility, and I would ask you to send those questions to me. Any questions that we don't get answered, Marcus will have them as well and can get back to you if you'd like some specific requests. If you'd like to contact Marcus privately about something, uh, please just send a question through and I'm not sure that he gets it. So I'm afraid, uh, leaving aside the lengthy introduction about what a wonderful guy he is, which you can read on the website, we're going to get right into the meat of it. Marcus, the floor is yours. Thanks for the introduction, Michael, and uh, great to be with you and spend time with you in uh, the FS Club. So I think that's great. So I'm going to go straight into the um, the talk, and then I guess we'll go on to some Q&A after. So let's go on to the, uh, the first slide, please. And... We should be looking at a slide we're talking about um, payment innovation and the world that we see today. And the, um, the thrust of my talk really is about the current payment environment that um, we all live and uh, um, put up with today and how kind of incrementally working to improve that um, environment actually doesn't give us the transformation in payment quality that as a society we really should be demanding so many many projects running today to you know, I know move swift from mt onto iso 20022 or to slowly upgrade other um, hub and spoke clearing networks to kind of in a patchwork way gradually improve the speed, reliability, and effectiveness of cross-border payments. And the view that the founders at Ripple have, and that I have working with Ripple, is that you know this incremental way of 
tackling those challenges really isn't quick enough and isn't actually impactful enough to deliver the kind of cross-border high-quality payment world that is demanded today. So again, the networks today, they're slow, they're unreliable, expensive, and they're also fragmented. Let's go on to the next slide, please, Michael. The vision we have that we're pursuing at Ripple is to really create a payment um, landscape for the world where payments can move really like information moves today, globally, uh, in a way that's inclusive, accessible, and able to deliver a great experience no matter you know, where you are in the world, whether you are receiving money or paying money from a wallet in Kenya, whether you have a bank account in Chile, anywhere to be connected so that you can work together, you can interact, you can be part of a global society and community, and the payment or the exchange of value is not in any way creating any friction in how you interact with other people and companies around the world. That's a vision. And again, we are a blockchain company, so we have applied blockchain technology, fresh thinking, to establish that future network from scratch. So the big theme about Ripple is we're not incrementally building on what's been created before over many decades. We are genuinely trying something uh, which is completely new. And that's what we're building out. And that's where I think we've had some fantastic uh, results uh, so far. So um, uh, next slide, please, Michael. So a bit of kind of context about Ripple. So we are a fast-growing uh, fintech. We're now up to over 450 employees around the world. When I joined Ripple only four years ago, it's uh, crack, it's gone quick. You know, we had one office in San Francisco. I was the first employee in um, in London, and some people on the call here may remember joining me and some colleagues at the top of the Gherkin Tower to celebrate the opening of Ripple UK uh, back in 2016. But we've grown very quickly since then, and we now have operational offices in uh, New York, London, Mumbai, Singapore, Sao Paulo, Washington, Dubai, and even Reykjavik, which is a, a newest member of the, um, the Ripple network. So we're, we're very global, and we've always believed in building an inclusive company and tackling the global cross-border payment challenge as a single global problem rather than working first in California and kind of building up slowly from there. So we've gone global from day one uh, and you know that's very much in the in the lifeblood of Ripple. We're still pretty young. We're founded in 2012 and um, if you think back at that time we were founded around purely a vision. You know we've built our network, we've built our tech, we've created a global payment scene. We've onboarded 300 plus customers around the world. A lot of um, um, hard graph and achievement in uh, in those eight years. So next slide, please, Michael. And again, touching on the the Ripple ecosystem. So a bit of context. What what is Ripple? So I mentioned um, the idea of moving value like information moves today, and that's the important concept because our whole vision 
is very internet centric. So the network we're creating for moving value between banks and between payment companies, if you look at it, it looks like the internet. So we call it an internet of value, both in terms of the digital assets that you can access across that network, and also in how the ledgers in the banks and payment companies connected to that network are coordinated by it in order to enable value to move balances to be updated in different parts of the world, including um, cross-border FX in you know, microseconds and clear into local networks incredibly quickly. So the whole internet model has the advantage of not creating any hub and spoke. There's no big Ripple data center anywhere, crunching um, centralized uh, payment exchanges. We are very much an open network and we deliver value through the um, the, the work of the banks and the payment companies and the e-marketplaces which are plugged into Ripple, who then offer those superior services to their own customers, small companies or individuals, large companies, uh, using the power of the Ripple uh, network. And also any network today that's international cannot succeed without governance. So we established a governance body, uh, the RippleNet committee, uh, RippleNet, Customers are members of that community, and these companies adhere to clear rule sets around how information is then exchanged over Ripple. Uh, we are big supporters and big implementers of ISO 20022, so that's very much part of everything we do across the network, and that network, again, is governed by the members. So Ripple facilitates that governance, but the governance takes place, is affected by the the users of Ripple, how we call our customers worldwide. And we've also implemented um, blockchain technology in, I think, a very creative way in that we focused on the, the cryptographic proof of a transaction. <laughs> and use that to build our internet um, um, network that Ripple executes over. And we've also applied the consensus blockchain that underpins the, um, the asset XRP to deliver liquidity at need on points to specific markets around the world. So you're gonna get kind of an ecosystem which is built from scratch, not relying on any legacy Networks or legacy um, componentry, but it's a full stack, and that I think is the kind of the reasons we're able to move so quickly, and why we're able to have um, you know, such a big impact on delivering value, delivering a really true high-speed, immediate payment experience uh, globally. So that's a very quick overview, Michael, of the um, the Ripple story, the Ripple company, what we believe and what we're doing, how we're working. Um, I guess it'd be good now to you know, talk through um, more around Ripple. I'm happy to take questions, and then maybe we can talk around um, the uh, the concept and kind of where we're heading. Fantastic, Marcus. Thank you so much for that introduction. Very, very helpful, and also extremely nice that uh, you're going to spend more time uh, chatting with the audience because, yes, the board's yeah. lighting up. Um, so I've got a lot of questions here. Uh, I'll start with something uh, pretty quick, but... Uh, 
most of the audience is familiar, but not all. Could you just explain what ISO uh, 20022 is and why it's important, and maybe just a teensy bit about what does it really mean? What, what, what you know, in sort of vague standard terms, but what standards does it cover? Thank you. Well, ISO 20022 is a global, um, if you like, agreement on the information that moves with a payment from you know, a sending bank or payment company to a receiving bank. And the reason it's so special is that it creates the ability in a very flexible way to put in very clearly defined information in, in, in large amounts, if that's, that's required, for example, long addresses, long names, descriptions, so that the sending and receiving counterpart, payment company or bank, can exchange a payment, exchange value, without having failures or the failures or the, um, the rework or the manual intervention that many of the older standards um, you know, create. So ICO 2022 has been around for a few years now, and it's gaining momentum very quickly. I think as the world's moving to a more digital-first uh, model, i.e. more payments are delivered either through uh, machine execution or through you know, apps on people's phones or your marketplaces, the value of having a really powerful strong standard for exchanging those payments, people-to-people, you know, -people, marketplace, marketplace, buyer-to-seller, without having the kind of like the overhead of manual rework and having to second guess what a payment's about, really powerful. And for Ripple, taking that model into the blockchain space, it gives us a big advantage because we can, from the get-go, facilitate highly um, um, automated payments end-to-end, -end. what we can also give back to ISO 2022 is advice, help, suggestions about how the standard can be extended into a truly internet world and into the kind of cryptographic um, element that really underpins Ripple. So kind of giving and benefiting both ways, if you like, from Ripple's uh, membership of, um, of ISO and ISO no, 2022. Well. Thank you. Now, Ripple didn't really start with ISO 20022, did it? Uh, do you want to have a? Uh, you've got Ripple Labs and the the corporate bit of from 2012, but there was a history dating back to 2005. We just want to uh, provide a little bit of context, particularly as it underpins my statement that you were here uh, before Bitcoin. Right, Michael. Yeah, I think the um, the central character of Ripple, which um, attracted me to join the company uh, four years ago, is that the company's always been super focused on solving the cross-border payment challenge, which is that you know cross-border payments are, they are friction um, intense, they're slow, a lot goes wrong. And we've always had a real focus on, um, you know, removing all that friction. And that's meant that we haven't got kind of hung up on any technology we've created but you're not in love with you know one component another component we've kind of kept a laser focus on that task of simplifying down and removing friction from making payments move cross-border so because of that we've moved on a very interesting journey from 
first picking up um, the digital asset XRP, which we've applied to uh, over time affect liquidity movement between fiat currencies, I think, very, very effectively. We then moved on from that model into an internet approach where we where we pioneered the use of interledger for hyperfast fiat to fiat exchange of value. We then built up the governance structure around 2016, 2017 and created RippleNet. And around 2017, I would say, we started to double down on the content of information that moves with our payments, both the uh, the interledger payment exchange and also the movement of value across the blockchain XRP. Thought, hang on, as we are building fresh, we have no legacy. Why not go straight to ISO 2022 and embed it, standardize it, and build it into how the network is governed? It's a great question, and it kind of, in answer, the the kind of underlying theme is we're focused on the impact. That's what we're after. And we're applying our tech and our know-how to achieve the impact, which is the frictionless cross-border payments globally. Okay. We've got a lot of questions, so I'm going to ask you to kind of tighten up. Um, okay. And on this first discussion sure. point, uh, D- Douglas Andrews, who knows a bit about this, is asking, do you have any plans to expand into China? And if so, what are the issues? Yeah, I'm very keen to expand to China. Um, again, the uh, geopolitical situation needs to soften, but we are very much prepared to move in and uh, do work in China. We do transact with some uh, Chinese players right now, but see, I think if usually you'll see a lot more of that as things become a little bit more open, hopefully. Okay. Uh, Susan Cuff says you're famous for your focus on customer experience, and clearly customer experience is increasingly on the boardroom agenda. She continues... What and how can other sectors learn from Ripple's success in this, uh, it being a decade or so further ahead than most of the FS marketplace? Heck of a compliment from Susan. Um, Thank you. But she also, she, uh, there's another question related to this, which I think you can wrap up on this. Stephen Murgatroyd is interested in, okay, uh, I'm curious about the much talk about latency in blockchain, and therefore, does this impede its ability to make rapid settlements? So maybe a word on your customer experience uh, strengths. And is uh, interoperability latency an issue? That's great. Thank you. So first off, we as a company, we're very honest about how our customers are perceiving the work that we that we do with them. So the really important thing is to be honest with yourself and to embrace intellectual honesty. And that's how you improve. That's how you keep learning, improving. We survey customers. We spend a lot of time with them. Just say with, with my opening. We haven't stayed in San Francisco. We recognize that the customers that use Ripple are all over the world. And one of the reasons why we've opened up offices in these countries around the world is to get closer so we can have, and it's ironic given we're on Zoom today, but in normal times, new normal perhaps, we do spend a lot of time with our customers face-to-face. You've got to do that very, very important. And the second thing I think is very important is to focus on doing one thing well, which is a little learning from the internet um revolution around 2000 and if you look at the winners in that in that um that 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 event the googles um the apples um the um the amazons they've all done something very intensely one thing only amazon i'm selling online at google i'm searching and on the back of that success you then branch out later you try not to branch out too early so we've turned down a lot of really exciting work in trade finance and um, custody, 
um, work that maybe in future, yeah, would be great to do. But right now, if we focus in on just that cross-border payment challenge, that's how you make most impact. And that's how you really help um, your customers. Switching on to the, the latency question, it's a really good point. We believe very strongly it is not possible to put the world onto a blockchain. The world is too big. There are too many people, too many companies, too many events. You're never going to keep up with that with any algorithm you have on a blockchain. So that's why for the full network that moves information and moves money between different counterparties worldwide, the only way we could scale up to something that's world ready was to adopt the open internet model where we use cryptography to coordinate ledgers globally. And that is infinitely scalable. Below that, we're using classic blockchain, the, the Ripple um, design that supports um, the XRP um, digital asset is one of consensus, very high volume. So we can use that for delivering liquidity. If you think about liquidity, the classic SWIFT M2202, the liquidity volume is much lower than the payment volume. In the old SWIFT model, you have this, the uh, file acts carrying vast amounts of individual payments made to be, the FIN 103, very high volume, underpinned by the 202, which is a low volume. It's the blockchain low volume, global flows, you've got to go interconnecting and not force things onto one, um, one blockchain. No. You know, Bitcoin is running, uh, frankly, quite slow. I don't think many people understand how slow it is, but to call it a, you know, a, a 10 minute uh, block. Uh, how, how swift are your transaction times? Well, XRP settles in uh, microseconds. It's incredibly fast. And it was designed from the beginning to be a very different animal to, uh, to Bitcoin. So the founders of um, you know, the XRP model saw the problem that Bitcoin had very early on. So the actual XRP is very fast. Because you're not doing mining or anything. You've, you've basically got a member no, no, network. It's purely, yep, it's purely, it's, it's a consensus model um, using a validator network. So it's not a and, mined model in the classic sense. Now, Tim Colden is, oh, yeah, Tim, Tim Colden is, you know, sorry, what am I saying? Stephen Murgatroyd is saying, uh, does the e UK EU requirement to verify the receiver's name have an impact on you? You know, the UK EU requirements uh, would imply uh, two-way messaging, but I think there's a different answer to Tim. Uh, sorry, to Stephen, second time. Go, go ahead there, Marcus. Yeah. yeah, certainly. And again, that goes back to the point about working with our customers and making sure that we're creating something that's world-ready and not, you know, too lab-centric. So. The way Ripple works, we use the cryptographic element of our code to create that two-way conversation between a buyer or the sender and a receiver. That's where the ISO 2022 comes in. Two-way exchange, a simultaneous update of ledgers, maybe let's say Chile and um, Kenya, to, to pick my two, my two example countries. And that happens immediately. Then you cycle into our local clearing, email a few seconds, but it's hyper fast. You then support that with liquidity movement across the blockchain, and that's where XRP comes in. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of linked into the peer-to-peer -peer transaction, which includes the recognition and the sanction checking, et cetera, ability that, that goes with a cross-border payment. It's a very good question.
Yeah. Actually, I'm just conscious, again, we've got different levels here. I'm sure most of the audience are familiar with XRP, uh, but that's effectively your currency unit. But what does that stand for? You know, I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, therefore, it's, <laughs> it's very much just a question I should ask. <laughs> we, we pass on that one. Um, uh, yeah, I hope the R is for Ripple or something. I think it's something cross-Ripple protocol. <laughs> I'll leave okay. you to look it up. I wasn't trying to embarrass yeah. you there. Um, now, now the bulk of your clients are banks, am I correct at the moment? Is that true? Actually, no, because we initially worked with banks, and we found that the the banking world works at a certain pace only. You know, banks are large organizations. They move at a, at a fairly slow pace. And we wanted to have a very, very big impact. And we also found that a number of fintechs are moving very, very quickly and building really powerful payment networks. There's some very famous ones like Alipay and Pace you may have heard of and PayPal, TransferWise, close to home in the UK. So right now, about half of the customers that we work with and have on the network are payment companies or their exchanges and half are banks. And how it's shaking out is that banks tend to be receivers. So they tend to be more comfortable as you know, FI providers taking traffic in, agency clearing into like UK traps or, or faster payments, whereas payment companies are much more uh, likely to be the send side. So that's what's kind of shaking out. Our view is that the payment market is getting broader and broader. And we think there's room for you know all kinds of players from the big, classic money center banks right through to the um, you know, the small emerging market startups. But again, 50-50, um, which is um, not how we started, but kind of where things are moving now in the um, in the network. But what is like a typical customer then? A typical customer is very digital friendly, um, one that is very ambitious and looking to build market share through new technology and new models. Um, give an example, Siam Commercial Bank in Thailand is a very, very fast moving um, organization that's taking payment traffic from many counterparties around the world on Ripple, both payment companies and banks, clearing into local clearing, which in Thailand is prompt pay. It's a bit like IMPS in India, Faster Payments UK, hyper fast, hyper quick. And through Siam Commercial Bank, customers of Ripple are able to send payments on the behalf of their own customers mm. and clear in Thailand literally in seconds before but beforehand it took days. Okay. So it's a good example of the kind of company that really thrives on um, on Ripple. But, but then you said that the majority weren't banks and this is a bank. So I'm just trying to understand what, what's a paradigm that customers I'm picking, do. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just picking my favorite. Um, pick Asimo, um, okay. great company. Very much a payment company, and they're using Ripple both paying to Thailand, oh, and also they're paying to Philippines using XRP uh, for on-demand liquidity. Now the audience, nice um, that's good. the audience seems to, you know, we've got kind of banks and payment systems, and we've got wholesale institutions and retail, um, and so there are a few things going on. Uh, you're not at the let me present. Liz Thrussell's curious: Is this retail or corporate? Um, and does it link to Swift or compete with it? And in fact, uh, Lenny Shrank equally has a question here. How does Ripple compete with Swift's ongoing uh, uh, GPI initiatives, uh, the Global Payments uh, Initiative initiative? 
uh, moving towards tracking and near instantaneous payments there. So both trying to understand the relationship between you, between SWIFT and the corporate world. Certainly. So our focus is on the retail sector and also the SME sector. And that's because they feel most pain in the world today. We've created is very effective at the very high end as well. So we do have banks and payment companies sending, you know, what you call corporate traffic across Ripple works very, very well. Where we're finding most traction is on the remittance world. You know, wallet to wallet is really becoming very, very, very powerful and appealing. And in the SME, the small um, and middle-sized enterprise world. And to answer Lenny's question about um, about Swift, if you look at innovators, you read the famous book, The Innovator's Dilemma. The innovator always dominates the space that the incumbent hasn't really, you know, paid attention to. They perfect their technology there, and then they come into that, you know, the, almost like the um, home territory when it's too late for the incumbent to react. And the kind of similar things happening here. So Swift covers, you know, only a small percentage of the the full universe of payment need globally. And that's why there are so many players and so many you know, direct API connections you have around the world. So what we think will happen is that what Ripple is creating will absolutely, it is having a massive impact on that non-SWIFT area, which is where you're getting a, you know, most uh, effectiveness and take up of Ripple. What I think will happen is that will drift back into the you know, the, the home space of, um, of Ripple and G, uh, SWIFT and GPI over time. Does it matter to Ripple? No, Ripple is not out to compete with Swift. You know, it's a very, very big market base. Um, I know Swift very, very well. In my view, ultimately, what Ripple is doing will fundamentally affect the market that Swift is working in. It's just how innovation works and how um, disruptive change works in the marketplace. Yeah, but I mean, historically, with respect, and I know this probably predates you, you know, your, your website did have articles on there like the Empire Strikes Back and, you know, kind of the evil Darth Star, Dark Star, Darth Vader uh, sort yeah. of attitude, which, you know, I understand many, many startups go through that. Um, I remember 2014 in Boston, in particular 2016 at Cybus in Geneva. You know, this was not a, this was, a, it was a definitely an attack uh, of the underdog approach. So what, 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 what in a nutshell though is today's relationship with Swift? Uh, competitor alongside, uh, do you use Swift for elements or is it just that your customers buy from both of you? Yeah, we, Coexist in a big marketplace in the same way that we coexist with um, you know, Visa, MasterCard, HomeSend, okay. um, Alipay. That's how we look at ourselves. Um, we've got a pretty good relationship with Swift on Gary. Um, ultimately, I think the model we're following is the future. I do feel strongly about that. And that's just, I guess, my personal outlook. Well, you know, I share some of that because I believe what you've proven is that a decentralized approach can work and get through the regulation and attract customers. Uh, we'll come on to some of those questions. Um, I'd like some sure. pointed answers to some of these. Given that you said you are not using Bitcoin for the transaction part, Chris David is curious, what is the relevance, if any, of Bitcoin to Ripple? Um, none. Okay. Liz Thrussell is curious about what is the largest value you can transmit? Oh, um, infinite. Okay, good. Um, Got some interesting things here. Um, 
Lasse up in uh, Sweden is asking, what are the main hurdles that make countries and settlement mechanisms reluctant to come together for common solutions? And he's referencing P27 in Scandinavia with, for example, Norway ducking out. Uh, any comments on that? I would say politics, inertia, and just the difficulty getting legacy moving. And I think the only way to really take a leap forward is to climb away from legacy. I, you know, I hate to bring it up, it's a sad situation. You know, we can blame all kinds of people, but it doesn't help. The, the move from MT to ISO 2022 at SWIFT is taking a hell of a time. Not because people are bad actors, but because the problem is so, so big. It's been there for so long and it's you know, multiplied by 15,000 banks. It's a big problem. And in many ways, the task of upgrading individual country clearing networks is as big. So our view is you've got to kind of step outside that and build fresh, except that, you know, railways are not the only way to get around. If you want to go faster, build a car, you know, do something different. And that's really kind of our thesis. And I think that the pain that people have, you know, moving swift around and moving the legacy around kind of underlines the sense in making a break with tradition and doing something clean. Well, uh, Lasse, who I'm sorry, I said he was from Sweden, he's not he's from Norway. My apologies, Lasse. Uh, would like to thank Ripple for ripping off the inertia band-aid. So good one. Uh, Narissa is curious. Um, she's uh, maybe wrong, but is it expensive to join the Ripple network? No. How much is it? No. To join RippleNet, the membership is free. It's a membership. It's not within Ripple. It's outside Ripple. We facilitate it, but it's a free group. And our software, well, I can't give quotes over the, um, over the, um, um, the chat line, but it's very, very competitive. Again, the reason is we haven't got a charge back for any massive operation center. If you think about the internet model, it's far, far, far more efficient than, you know, these great big central hubs that um, legacy companies have. And Ripple runs on cloud. So we have a, a bank in, in Brazil, Rendimento, which is happily running Ripple on the cloud, which again takes a whole layer of cost out of the, out of the uh, network, yeah. which you're even paying for any, any server. And the whole thing is uh, virtual. Uh, Chris David, again, uh, I, I categorize this question as Bitcoin. He also wanted to understand uh, blockchain. Um, you're running on a blockchain as a, as a data structure and logging tool. Is that correct? Yeah. Ripple, think of it as a um, uh, two layers. The top layer is a network of peers. Okay. Each peer is a different ledger. They're not synchronized. You wouldn't call it a blockchain. It's connected together using the cryptography that you normally find in blockchain, in the hash, hash um, validation. And just using that tech alone, the magic is you can create immediate delivery of value because you can blockchain synchronize the ledgers on you know, legacy um, ledgers around the world. That's a real magic dust that gets the globality. Below that is a more classic blockchain that people would recognize who have read up on the blockchain where it's consensus driven. So it's hyper fast, much faster than, than Bitcoin, but it's a separate Kind of like a blockchain ledger that kind of sits below the um, surface of Ripple. It's that that part below that's where XRP is used to deliver liquidity on points. The very important uh, thing of it in those two ways. 
Otherwise, you're going to get confused on how you talk about Ripple. Um, Liz Thrussell, again, is interested. Can you make a payment anywhere in the world at the moment? And are there price differentials according to destination? Yeah, good question, Liz. Um, not yet, not yet. So our network is only as big as the customers that we connect into and clear through. So right now, we clear directly in 45 countries. Um, and then through a number of RippleNet members like Newman, for example, uh, head office in Singapore, who are aggregators like Airport, for example, we can touch many, many other countries. But the way we're heading, I would think by mid-2021, we'll have, to all intents and purposes, uh, complete global coverage. One thing to watch, we do have a, a great pipe into uh, MoneyGram, which we have a relationship with, which gives us a cash payout in virtually every country in the world. And we're looking to build that up and um, plug that into the RippleNet network, as for my slide in the intro uh, this year. Uh, Nerissa is curious about uh, looking at the Stellar Network, co-founder of Ripple, or you know, you sort of forked away from them as Ripple Labs. Uh, she, she believes that they seem to be more inclusive and not only a network for larger firms. What is your relationship with Stellar, if any? We don't really hear much about them. So beyond the fact that they originated, you know, you go back in time in the same um, same stable, there are very different animals. There is no, you know global uh, governance model for Stellar. The Ripple yeah. is unique in creating that. Um, there isn't the global bank network that we have. The interledger model that we have isn't there. So it's very much an offshoot from an earlier time, yeah. and we don't really come close to them or really see much of them in a day-to-day -day work with our customers. Yeah, I'm delighted you, you emphasize governments. In fact, Log Finance brought out a report over four years ago on the fact that these systems really needed governance structures to become at all commercial, uh, which is, I think, yep. you know, is still an underpinning discussion point with uh, Bitcoin. But just about every other successful application has addressed governance in a in a grown up way. Now, John Kellop is curious. Recently, you announced a new product for lending to SMEs. If he's not mistaken, uh, how will that work, and what role will XRP and ODL play in this? Yes, I'm looking at. Again, the point about um, as Google started with one thing only and then expanded from there. And that's the logical thing. In fact, two things that we do are looking to do beyond just the straight payment. One is to facilitate lending or some, some degree of lending for XRP. And that's on point as required. The problem we're solving there is the lack of immediate liquidity for payment companies. So banks are you know, they're animals of liquidity. So you haven't got a problem for a bank. If you're a payment company, you are constrained massively by liquidity on tap. Most payment companies that do their Series B, Series C funding, they get the money. The first thing they do is put it in the account overseas to fund their payments in case they can't free up that capital. So we feel that that use of um, XRP, that model, could be very powerful. Right mm -hmm. now, we're just working it through, but we think it'd be powerful. The other big one, Michael, to call out is compliance and the ability to screen and to check data validity, change my tongue, um, because the nature of payments, because we coordinate together, we think we can radically change the way the world thinks about compliance over time, and that could be really powerful. Uh, well, following on that compliance bit, uh, Alex Powell is uh, quite curious about your level of KYC and AML uh, compared to a typical traditional payment network. Oh, Alex. Um, 
Yeah, we rely very much on the KYC of the Ripple users, the customers that make up a network. So Ripple creates the tools for plugging into these compliance um, uh, systems. We are looking at enabling compliance providers, screening providers to plug into Ripple in the same way that Swift plugs into NIP screening tools that it then offers to its uh, its users. But in the current legal framework, no matter what we provide for the banks and payment companies that use Ripple, ultimate ownership of um, you know the validity of a scan has to remain with the regulated entity, the bank or the payment company. Now, uh, turning to XRP as a currency, Paul Parkinson points out that XRP is your currency abbreviation. Uh, and following on from that, Tim Coleman is uh, quite interested in is might might uh, XRP sit in an ETF, for example, as gold does. Um, I imagine so. I think I think the 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 potential of XRP is is huge because it it's so uniquely. Um, designed for the needs of exchanging value. Whereas Bitcoin is very much a value holding design. XRP is a value transmission design. And I think what will happen is you get usage to build on XRP, you'll find layers of governance and layers of uh, risk management around the asset. Now, that's not unique. I think with um, digital assets, as they're becoming much more mainstream, there is a common theme of the world kind of getting their heads around what these um, animals are, how to manage them differently, and how to think about you know the risk and how to think about smoothing over volatility. So I think in general, you'll see a lot more structure around digital assets as they become more mainstream. Uh, we've only got time for a few more, so we're going to have to be swift. Sure. But, uh, sorry, we'll have to be XRP. Uh -huh. uh, uh, just, just a quick one. Uh, there's a class action lawsuit at the moment that's been uh, boiling around since uh, 2018, uh, really about XRP and the token issuance. So, any comments on that? Yeah, I can't really go there. It's about my pay grade, I'm afraid. Okay, that's fine. Um, and uh, sort of a double question. Uh, I'll read the long one. Golapakrishnan is asking, why have network effects not built up for Ripple, even with the strong value proposition of unlocking trap capital and settlement overheads? Uh, what are the hurdle, top hurdles you face with banks? That's a bit loaded because it implies you're not where you are, uh, <laughs> one of the, uh, but it's then followed uh, by John Kellop who's interested, do you see banks using XRP in the next year? And again, the obstacles, uh, you know, which, which I think is there. And that leads to kind of a, a question for me, which is how should people be measuring you, uh, mm. particularly if we have you back on yeah, the show? Yeah, well, I could do that one in chronological order. So. First off, we're very much seeing a network effect. So our volume is doubling quarter on quarter. I know we're in a funny world now, COVID land, and you know we're still building volume. We're still growing volume in a time where you know many companies are pulling back and on hold. So we are very much on a roll, and we're very much building momentum. So that. So what are the volumes in transaction numbers and payment values? Yeah, again, I don't talk openly about that, but I can tell you it's okay. doubling quarter by quarter, okay. which yeah, is great. Okay. Um, okay. And, and also, kind of taking it through the, um, I guess, the list of um, of, um, of, of, of questions. Mm -hmm. So we, in terms of the the blocking, blocking traditionally was just the the ability of you know some of the banks we work with to kind of like 
incorporate what we've created and get the end-to-end -end running quickly. And also some countries where you know clearing just takes time, that blunts a lot of the effect of the, the high-speed ripple network. So we've had to focus much more on plugging into the high-speed clearing countries, which thankfully are getting a bigger percentage globally. So that's always one to worry about. The second is to make sure you're working with someone that can really bring the value of Ripple to life. So there's no use plugging Ripple into a branch network. You don't get the speed. You want it plugged into an app or a machine to get the speed. And that's very important. And third question, Michael. I'm showing my age. Uh, no, it's just how should we measure you, especially as you're not going to tell us the transaction that's volumes right, thank and you. values. Well, um, measure us in terms of the scale of the network. Okay, we measure ourselves in terms of our volume, though we don't we don't probably talk about it. Um, we measure ourselves in our volume, um, the numbers and the dollar value that, that we're moving. Mm -hmm. And I think you also measure us in terms of the impact we're having. So we've got to a point now where we could reference a whole range of um, you know, our customers who have Ripple in production for their own customers. You can look at the speed it's taking, you can look at the experience, look at the globality. I think Ultimately, that's where you'll see, you know, as a person observing Ripple from the outside, that's when you'll see Ripple come to life. That's when you'll see much more of us the next um, um, 12 months. Um, I'm going to try and squeeze three in, but we're going to have to be short. Um, sure. What is, and the answer may be not at all, but what impact has COVID-19 had on you? Um, generally, yeah, not a great deal. So we've seen our customers who are digitally first accelerate their volume, whereas others like the branch network banks are going to pull back a little bit. But overall, we are driving volume and we're driving growth throughout COVID-19. Okay. Uh, Tim Coleman's asking, uh, do you have any plans to become a fundamental part of the Belt Road Initiative? A lot of Chinese um, industry at the moment. By default, I think we will do by default because we are geared up for um, IoT transactions, we're geared up for traffic across networks that's like Swift have found it hard to uh, get a toehold in. So we're very well positioned to be the engine of value exchange across the belt and road uh, countries. So yeah, I okay. guess so. Um, the last one, I'm going to turn into a small essay uh, myself in the question because I, I think I can wrap up this final question though and, and would really appreciate your insights. Sure. And it really is related to um, our fireside chat third point, you know, the practical yeah. applications of blockchain outside of payments. Uh, Tim Coleman again is asking blockchains can be used for many purposes, including payments, internet of value, yeah. et cetera. Um, do, you know, is there an ultimate use case? And the argument I've seen in a few of the comments and questions here is really, uh, I think, looking at the idea that there's a middleware layer. Uh, you're providing effectively an integrated network of people using a distributed, uh, effectively, you know, messaging yeah. system uh, to yeah. transfer value and commands. Uh, and that's kind of your space. Do you see that as really yeah. the, the big blockchain area or one of the, the very big blockchain areas? And if it's not the one, uh, but they're multiple, what, what might some of the other areas be? We seem to have lost your sound, um, Marcus. The blockchain model and the old, applying a digital asset in a way that's effective for real world usage. So I think the way to get the whole blockchain thing running is to tackle cross-border and get that working. And you know, 
payments are so fundamental once you've got them in a good place to the question earlier about loans or maybe compliance or eventually into trade you know you can build up through the whole uh, financial stack and then into um, identity contract work from that piece so i do think we're starting at the right place and i think this is where you see a lot of the the reality element of um, the blockchain uh, revolution started kicking which is a uh, a good thing wow uh well uh that is a very refreshing presentation. I'll explain why I find it that way uh, in a moment, if I might. Sure. Um, but sadly, folks, it's uh, time for me to kind of wrap up with some thanks. Uh, my first round of thanks, again, as ever, is to our sponsors who let us wide, uh, range widely and freely. Obviously, there's people in technology or in finance, and, and in fact, uh, some of them being uh, competitive or semi-competitive with Ripple. It's extremely kind that they allow us to explore what we will. So thank you very much. I need, of course, to thank you, the audience, uh, not least for your interest, but also your tolerance in, in my attempts to chair these things. We have a rich uh, set of webinars popping up, and so I'd, I'd really uh, ask you to ponder attending some more. Tomorrow's going to be uh, technology and healthcare, but also, of course, fundraising in that area. And next week, we have a, a completely full week of webinars, uh, ranging everything from uh, better decision-making with Chris Grant and his new book, uh, absolutely fascinating in the British context, not least uh, because of the Black Lives Matter discussions. We're going to have an ethical quiz for all of you uh, on Tuesday, which will be fun. We're going to turn to insurance on, on Wednesday, and finally a focus on Busan, uh, the maritime uh, capital of finance uh, very soon. So a lot, lot coming forward. But Marcus, uh, it's tough. You, uh, you know, you've got your hands tied uh, in a couple of areas I know about volumes that I might tease you. Uh, I also am aware that, you know, lawsuits are lawsuits. And I'm also aware that uh, having done many myself, uh, young startups uh, do tend to be young startups and exhibit uh, all of the fervor and some of the antagonisms of youth. So uh, it, it's the way it is. And I appreciate you really coming on here. And I would just underscore why I found it fascinating is you really are at the coal face. You're not some startup proposition. Uh, you've got real clients. You have an international goal. You have international vision. And you've learned a lot over the years, whether it's uh, it's not going to grow up, at least for you, in the uh, open source startup sense. It's uh, not a direct attack on Swift, which is uh, a phase that you went through. Uh, and it certainly is about grinding through. And a lot of good compliments here about your user experience and about your attitudes. And I just think it's great to see you uh, coming forward. Uh, we wish you every success and we hope to welcome you back. But maybe next time you could give us just a few facts and figures, uh, which would be nice. But thank you so very best. much. And uh, I've got my thank fireside you. chat, but I have another prop, if I may, which is uh, unfortunately in these days of uh, webinars, we're unable to open up and have the entire audience applaud. So I have to do it for them. So I've got my little applause device. <laughs> uh, and I'd like thank to thank you. you so much for coming on board and hope to see you and many other people in webinars to come. Take care all and goodbye. Thank you all. Thank you.